All right. Again, welcome everybody. Again, all those online, welcome, tuned in. Glad you're here. Go ahead and pull your worship guide out. There's some notes right there in your worship guide to follow along with. If you don't know me, my name is Brandon Doss. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, man, it's an honor to be with you today. We're in week three of a series we've called First Things First. Now, before we dive in, I want to remind you, you just heard about it. Next Sunday night uh, is our night of worship. We do these uh, quarterly here at the church, but I'm just going to tell you, can I just be a little, this one is my favorite, okay? Uh, we, we are ending 21 days of prayer and fasting. Come on, we got one more week, everybody. You made it. You're in it. You're, you're here. You go, oh, I didn't make it. I, I, I cheated. I quit. Start over. Just we got one more week. Do it again, okay? It's not the, we're not legalistic around here. It's the heart behind it. I promise you start this week. God will speak to you in some way. Fasting is simply turning down the voice of the world, turning up the voice of God. Uh, I'd encourage you to finish out the fast with us this week, uh, whatever that looks like for you. I promise. Next Sunday night, we're going to gather both campuses in this room. Now, I would like to point out, if you look around, it's a little crowded in here, okay? Uh, this is 1015. We had a whole bunch of people here at 9 a.m. Next Sunday night, it's going to be crowded, okay? You want to get here early, get a good seat, because I promise you it's going to be a powerful night. We're ordaining a handful of people from around the country. Uh, it's a very special time that we get to be a part of uh, commissioning people into ministry around the world, uh, into, into their spheres of influence. And man, it's always a powerful night of worship as we end 21 days of prayer, fasting, and worship Jesus together, both campuses. So I'd encourage you, whatever, uh, if you had some plans, cancel those things. This is a better plan, I promise, all right? All right, let's dive in. Week three, first things first. It's been an incredible series, at least for me personally. Uh, I think there's no better way to kick off something new than with good perspective. Uh, shifting some perspective. And that's been our hope. Week one, we talked about seek you first. We talked about uh, seeking out, filtering all of our decisions this year through God's plan, his purpose, and his pace, right? His pace is sustainable. God, what do you want me to do? I asked our, uh, I told us all to ask this question, God, what's the plan? What's the plan? What are we going to be doing? Week two, last week, as for me and my house, we talked about how the family unit, right, of all the things God could have chosen, to share the gospel to the world, to demonstrate it. Y'all know he chose the family. The, the church is the bride. He is the groom. He's coming back one day. The, the, the bride is longing for the, uh, for the return of the groom. There's no better um, explanation. There's no better demonstration of the gospel to the world than a, than a strong, godly, God-honoring family. Uh, it makes a difference. It, it points people to Jesus. And then today, uh, today we're going to be talking about forsaking not uh, forsake not assembling. We're going to talk about the church. Come on, one of my favorite subjects, yeah? the, the, the local church, the body of Christ. Now, if it doesn't take much, if you look around, y'all, um, we live in a culture today that it looks as if we look around, I don't know about y'all, where, where you get your media sources from, if it's from X or, or Twitter or what, you know, formerly known, X, formerly known as Twitter, right? Uh, if you get it there or, or Instagram or Facebook or uh, if you're old school like me, I still like the news. Anybody still like tuning in to the news? Some of us around here, right? Uh, you know, uh, like you get sources. It's really easy to look around and whatever you get it from to think evil is winning, like, it's easy to think, man, how in the world, what in this world, how is it going to get any better? Is it not getting any better? Uh, when we look around, it's not hard to come to that conclusion. Wars, rumors of wars, postmodernism, divorce rates excelling, sickness, depression, anxiety, the list could go on and on, and we could continue to get more and more depressed as we just list out and talk about all of these things. But it's in these moments of my life 
when I feel, when I, when I can read one thing, but feel another way. Isn't it true that you can, like, you can feel, like, I mean, you can read how, like, we're the redeemed of God, restored, uh, all that kind of stuff, but not feel that way? Anybody ever felt that way? Like, I, I know what the Word says, but it doesn't feel that way. Um, it's when I always have to submit my feelings to the truth of God's Word. And so I know we can look around and wonder, how is this thing going to get any better? But it's in those moments that I like to point myself back to God's word and submit myself to the, to the truth of Scripture. And so there's a passage of Scripture in Matthew. Uh, I'll read, well, I'm going to read in just a moment. We're going to read our theme verse together, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So what does it look like for us as a church, the local church, to seek first the kingdom? We did it individually week one. We did it as a family week two. What does it look like for us to do it corporately? Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said it this way. And I also say to you that you're Peter, which means rock. And on this rock I will build my church. Listen to this. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and ain't nothing going to stop it. Now, one translation says, uh, all the powers of hell will never overcome it. That's what it says. Now, it's easy to read that and think, okay, but that kind of communicates something that it's not. The, all the powers of hell will never overcome it. That kind of communicates that somehow hell is bringing an all-out onslaught onto the kingdom of God. And if we're not careful, we can believe that. We can fall into the, the, the trap of actually believing that. But the original word, if you pull out your Greek lexicon with me just for a moment, okay? Uh, the original word that, that, mean, that, that he says, the gates of hell or all the powers of hell, the, li the literal translation of that word is gate. Gate. Offense, y'all. Uh, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It literally means while the enemy is a thief... And he does come to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, the kingdom of darkness, listen to this, only ever advances. Only. It will only ever advance on the heels of a church that does not advance. The kingdom of darkness will only ever seem as if it's moving forward when the church is doing nothing. When the church is not doing what it's supposed to do. You'll never, gates don't advance, y'all. Now, come on, all of us in here, we're all in Alabama. Most of us have some kind of fence in our yard, uh, or your neighbor's got a fence. Anybody ever been kicked in the teeth purposely by a fence, by a gate? No. Gates don't advance. Gates stand their ground. Gates are defensive. Jesus said it this way, the gospel advances by force. The only all-out all onslaught on anything in this spiritual battle between heaven and hell is heaven over hell. We, we, if you haven't read the end of the book yet, we win this thing. Like the thing that, that wins, there is, no, there is never a moment in Scripture in which the enemy ever puffed up with pride or arrogance where Jesus was present. The only time you ever, the only thing you ever see in Scripture anywhere, when, what the enemy does when the presence of God is there, is the enemy flees in the name of Jesus. The Bible says it this way, that one day there's coming a day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Gates don't advance, they stand their ground. The local church advances. And so what, what we need to recognize is the church isn't a logo, it's not a street corner. 
It's not a denomination or association. It's not an organization. The church is a people. It's you and it's me. It's millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people all over the world gathering together to advance the gospel, to populate heaven and deplete hell. That is the hope of the local church. It's a people. We are the people. We are the church and we exist for the world. Now, I want to encourage you with this. The power of the church is in the gathering of the church. It matters. You, you'll, never, you'll never strengthen your faith alone by yourself. God designed us all to be in community together, to do life together. Historically, you can read through scripture and even all throughout history, the stronger the persecution, the stronger the, ch- the gatherings of the church. And the stronger the gatherings of the church, the more, the, the, the more powerful the church became. It's why in Acts chapter 8, you can see it says that there was great persecution that fell on the church in Acts. And it says that all of the believers, except for the apostles, scattered to every corner of the earth. And wouldn't you know, the enemy thought he probably won the battle in that moment. But when they scattered to every corner of the earth, they began to gather together where they got scattered. And all of a sudden, the church multiplied and began growing and began uh, literally like a cancer to the enemy. And there was nothing it could do to overcome it. Literally what Jesus said, I'll build my church and hell will never prevail against it. So here's because of all of that, I believe this with all of my heart. That the church mobilized is the hope of the world. I've heard this my whole life. You've probably heard it at some point in your life. It was coined uh, 30-something odd years ago that the local church is the hope of the world. And, and, I, and I do, I, I, I add this caveat. The local church mobilized. The local church doing something is the hope of the world. There is literally not a force in heaven or hell or on this earth that can stop a unified people rallied around the gospel, doing what we're called to do by the power of God. Nothing can stop it. And so what does it look like for us as a church to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously so that God can provide every need? What does that look like? I'm going to share with you three things, three powerful ways I believe the church mobilized. I'm going to encourage you to take notes, okay? Write these down. I think they're going to be helpful. I feel like we can be inspired to live our life on purpose this week as we walk out of these doors. All right, let's pray, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word. It's alive and breathing. In the name of Jesus, God, we submit ourselves to your word right now. God, whatever it is that you want to speak to us in our spheres of, in, in our entities, in our place in life right now, individually, Holy Spirit, come sit next to us, whisper into our hearts, perform spiritual surgery on our souls. Let us walk out of this place different than what we came, inspired to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, write this down. I believe the power in the church is the gathering, and here's one way that the church gathers publicly. We see it. It's happened from the beginning of the church in Acts chapter uh, 1 and 2. And the Bible gives us some nods to what this should look like. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, this is a nod to public gathering. Paul writes, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. You want to underline that. It should fill your life. Teach and counsel each other with all of the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful 
hearts. We see right there an outline of what a public gathering ought to look like. There should be teaching. You should gather around the Word. It should be important to you. It should fill your life. As a follower of Jesus, we see that we're taught in the Scriptures that literally our lives should wrap around gathering with other believers. That our calendars, our schedules should be scheduled based around gathering with other believers. And all around the world, that looks different. Most places in America, the church gathers on Sundays. But y'all, it gathers on Fridays and Tuesdays and Mondays and sometimes Thursdays. And all around the world, they gather in multiple times. It's not necessarily the specific day that matters. It's the, it's the gathering of people that you're committed to that matters. And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 14. It says that, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, right? Worship. A word of instruction, come on, that's the word. A revelation, that's the Holy Spirit. A tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church, the people, may be built up. Maybe That word in the Greek literally, it means building block. Construction being done. Maybe built up, made stronger. Uh, now, I've heard this, I've been told this in one way or another my whole life. You've probably said it at some point or maybe you've heard it from someone. I don't got to go to church to be a Christian. My relationship is between me and God. Well, can I tell you something biblically speaking? That is a lie of the devil, right? Let me tell you why. Because you are the church. The church gathers. The, the Bible says the church is the body of Christ. Uh, how many of you would, uh, would appreciate your finger going, I ain't got to be a part of that. To be, uh, I ain't got to be connected to that to be a part of the body. And this like severed itself, right? Uh, another reality is this. Like I remind you, like if the church is the bride of Christ, um, if, you, if, you in, if you liked my company, if we were friends, but you hated my wife, you didn't want nothing to do with Danielle. And I know it's probably the other way around. There's probably a lot of y'all that... They like my wife, and just it, you, you tolerate me. I know. Listen, I get it. Uh, you didn't have to laugh that hard, church. <laughs> hurts a little bit right here. But if I said that, and I told Danielle, hey, listen, I'm going to go hang out with these people. They don't really like you. So you can't come. <laughs> listen, you, if you liked me but don't like my wife, the probability that we're not going to be relationally strong is high. It just doesn't work that way. I like my wife, and I'm going to be in relationship with her before I'm in relationship with any of y'all. You know what I'm saying? It just happens to be that way. Did y'all know that God likes the church, and he's going to be in relationship with the church before he is any individual apart from the church? I've discovered this in my life. You cannot say that you love God, but you hate his church, and actually be in authentic relationship with him. It's impossible. The church, of, the church is the God's plan A. He loves the church. You are a part, a body member of the church. The church mobilized, gathering. It should always be a moment in which you walk out, built up, inspired to live your life on purpose. And so we care greatly about the public gathering of the church uh, here at Cultivate. And what should, that, what should that look like? We believe it should look like there's some things you should notice every week at Cultivate Church. You want to write these down. These are, uh, these are separate. These are outside of your notes. They're not in your notes. Number one is every single week there ought to be some sort of celebration. Man, we celebrate big around here. We love. Every single week, I'm going to come up here, and I'm going to have you clap, and I'm going to have you celebrate Jesus. You go, why don't we do that every week? Because it's more fun to have fun than it is to not have fun in church. 
You know what I mean? Like y'all ever, like, it's just more exciting to celebrate than not. And God deserves it. He deserves celebration. We're going to every week celebrate the goodness of God in our life. Y'all know, did y'all know it's okay to be happy in church? It's okay. It is okay to, to laugh a little bit, to have a little joy. It's okay to be excited about what God is doing or is going to do in people's lives. So we clap a lot around here, and we, we sing a lot, and we laugh a little, because it's just better to be in those environments. And God likes it better, too. That's why he said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Clap your hands, all ye people. Like, with a voice of triumph, shout, God likes it better, too. God's not a fuddy-duddy. He likes to enjoy the moment moment as well. We should celebrate, and that should happen in every public gathering. Y'all, we get to come together, and we get to celebrate the goodness of God every week. It's a get-to. It's not a got-to. Like, we get to do that. We get to celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. Number two, you want to write this down? Every single week, there ought to be some sort of inspiration. You ought to feel inspired, having been in the presence of God, gathered with the people of God, you ought to be inspired in some way to live your life on purpose when you walk out of these gatherings. Like, we work hard every week to hear from God, to inspire people to live their life on purpose in a way that honors God. Like, we ought to be. The public gathering, the body ought to be inspired. Number three, you ought to, you ought to see preparation. When you walk in here, if you're serving, if you're not serving, if you're new here, you ought to go, man, they look like they prepared a little bit. The bathrooms are clean. They, man, they got to worship God. I actually know where we're going. When, like, I, I know when this thing's going to start. Like, they're, like, we know what's happening. There ought to, it ought to look like you prepared. Have you ever had an important meeting in your life, in any other facet of life, that you didn't prepare for, that was valuable, important, it meant something? Y'all, every single week, we gather here and around the world, churches gather publicly, and we meet with the presence of God. I'm just going to tell you, there's not a more important meeting that you can meet, that you could choose not to, that you could choose to be a part of, and it ought to be prepared for. So it happens every week, man, every week. Lots of people prepare. Y'all may not know this. There's about 25 or 30 people started uh, weeks ago, and, and, and all this week, they were learning how to play songs and learning how to sing melodies and, and learning, memorizing uh, stuff. And there were people up here all week prepare, prepping lights and screens and uh, coffee and kids' areas, and they were cleaning the facility and making sure it was prepared and making sure things were ready for people to gather because it's an important gathering, so we're going to prepare for it. Uh, we believe the presence of God meets us here. We're not just going through the motions, checking things off a list. It's never just another Sunday, so we prepare for the presence of God. Y'all, there was people uh, at both campuses this morning, 17 degrees, parking teams, getting road signs, putting them out. Can we put a hand together for the parking team today? Y'all, man, y'all are heroes. They're the ones right now thawing out because <laughs> they've been out there all morning preparing for people to meet the presence of God. And then the last thing I think that we ought to see every week is salvation. When people gather and lift up the name of Jesus, y'all know what happens when we worship Jesus? It attracts the presence of God. It attracts the presence of God. 
And some people, that convicts them, and it convicts us. And we, we realize that, man, Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Conviction's not a bad thing. Conviction is the loving hand of God showing you there's a better way. That's what conviction is. And people turn to Jesus every week all over the world in public gatherings, worshiping him together. The church gathers publicly. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It ought to be a priority. Remember, underline that part, that note in your, in your worship, God. Let it fill your lives. Let it fill your lives. Number two, the church meets privately. It meets publicly, but it also meets privately. This is where we got the title of today's message. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says it this way, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. Now, this passage of Scripture typically um, is used in, in the terms or in context of church on Sundays. You've ever heard it expressed that way? Don't forsake the assembling. You missed, you missed one Sunday this month. You're forsaking. No, that's not what it's talking about. That word forsake, uh, the original word, the original Greek word that they, that you, that's used in this passage of Scripture is the exact word that Jesus used on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It literally means abandonment. It means to walk away completely. And, and it's not even meant for large group things. He's literally talking about Christian relationships. People doing life together. Stop forsaking. Stop abandoning personal relationships. Stop isolating yourself. Stop pulling away from community, doing life on your own. You ought to. And as a matter of fact, the whole book of Hebrews is the writer of Hebrews trying to tell the Jewish Christians to stop walking away from their faith. Hey, stop this. You read Hebrews 6, 7, and 8. He's literally saying, hey, stop walking away. And here we see in chapter 10, stop abandoning relationships. It matters. Stop. It's the biggest thing. As a matter of fact, we would say this, it's the secret sauce to the church. Personal relationships, it's the secret sauce. It's the thing that actually brings longevity to public gatherings. It's the thing that causes people to dig in and to serve on Sundays and to, and to build relationships on the weekends and to worship Jesus regularly. If personal relationships, uh, following Jesus together, is the thing that allows public gatherings to fill our lives. You see, there was some research done. Lifeway Research did a lot of research on the power of small groups and, and private gatherings wrapped around the gospel. And here's some of the statistics that they came in. Thousands upon thousands of people they interviewed. 63% of regular small group attenders say that they intentionally now, as a result of this, spend time with other believers to help them grow in their faith. Less than 20% of people who aren't involved personally in relationships do anything like that. They say this, that 73% of group attenders say they are intentionally putting their spiritual gifts to use serving God and others. Almost no people who aren't involved personally in Christian relationships are serving on any capacity. Uh, the local churches are, are, are using their, their, their God-given gifts to make a difference. Churchgoers who belong to a small group are 79% more likely to go to church that it would fill their lives more than two times over the course of eight weeks. They say they're 79% more likely to go to church at least four times a month. 28% more likely to read their Bibles daily. 
that it, it inspires you along. Let us consider ways to encourage one another to good works. Being in a group also impacts your daily lives. Listen to this. 69%, 69% of people connected in a small group relationally feel closer to God than those that aren't. 74% say they understand the Bible better. 66% say they trust God more and become more loving in their relationships. The stats don't lie. The numbers don't lie. God has supernaturally ordained community to sanctify the church, to sanctify people. That word sanctification, what's it mean? It means I'm becoming more like Jesus. The closer I get in Christian relationship, the closer I get into small group community, the more, inevitably, inevitably, the more I will look like Jesus. And I can tell you this, there is a reason why most people in America don't attend a large group gathering in church. It's because many people think it's the, like in our culture, we're taught to don't, don't not let people in. We're taught to be our own people. Don't let somebody get too close. And we don't. And we isolate ourselves away from community, which is the thing that God designed to make us more like Jesus. And as a result, we walk away. We, we abandon those things, and it, and it and hurts our relationship with Jesus. One of the biggest reasons people don't last long as a local church is because they don't have, they don't have a close relationship. Do you know they say once you find a friend in a church, you'll find purpose being there? Isn't that crazy? Once you find a relationship in a local church, you'll find purpose in being there. You'll never find a perfect local church. Listen, this, in this consumer society, you can walk into every local church. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this 20 years. I am bad about walking. I'll walk into every environment. And I'll, I can tell you what's wrong with it, what's right with it, what I think, right? Brandon, the book of Brandon, what he thinks is right and wrong and all the stuff, right? But can I tell you? If you'll focus more on relationships and focus less on those other things, God will actually start doing something in your life. He'll make a difference in your life. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Who do you have in your life who's legitimately stirring up love and good works in you? Who's in your life? Who's encouraging you, holding you accountable, calling out the God in your life, calling out the things that, God, that people see, the potential in your life? Who's in your life? That says, hey man, why you got that attitude? Something's off. You're acting out of character. What's going on? Because I can promise you, if we had somebody, if all of us had somebody in our life that could point those things out on the front end, it would save us a whole lot of heartache in the next six months when we keep pulling away from our community and isolating ourselves and getting more bitter and getting more angry and listening to the voice of the enemy and thinking nobody cares. And it was all our fault to begin with. Because I'm not committed and, and invested in community. You ain't going to find perfect people, but I promise you, if you'll commit to them, God will change your life through it. That's the power of community. The local church meets privately. It makes a difference. And then number three, the last thing I'll share with you today is it meets purposefully. We're on mission together. We got a sign right back here, right behind the platform here on the wall. When you walk out on this platform, it says, it's never just another Sunday. And we look at that and we remind ourselves every single week that this is not just another Sunday. There's going to be folks walking through these doors who need Jesus, who are going to step from death to life. They're going to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to give their heart to Jesus, and something's going to shift and change. And the church uh, gathering is the literal hope of the world, and we should live our lives on purpose. But let me, let me share with you a passage of scripture that breaks my heart when I read it. It's in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus says, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages, 
of that uh, area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about Jesus, or the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And this is, what I, this is it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Let me tell you why this breaks my heart. Because Jesus had a specific response when he saw people that were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And my heart breaks because, unfortunately, that's not the response of Jesus' people when we see people who are confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Most of us and many, many Christians around the world, we've gone conditioned to the culture around us. And when we, we look out over the crowds and we look out over social media and we look out over the world and we see people not making decisions that honors God. And they vote differently and they look differently and they act differently and they don't necessarily make decisions that Jesus would say are good decisions. None of us really have compassion, do we? We get angry. We get bitter. We get mad. What's this world coming to? How do these people think that way or do that thing? But Jesus had compassion passion. He was broken for them. He said, the harvest is plentiful. And y'all know that's never changed. Listen to this. Here's some, here's some sobering stats. In America today, 2024, they say that only 17% of Americans attend church. 17%. We have, we have long not been a, a, a nation of God. Long not been. Postmodernism has long taken over. 17% attend church regularly. Regular church attendance on that, even, even on that statistic, is two out of six to eight Sundays. That statistic even drops if you talk about regular, regular attendance, if you're here on a consistent basis. Regular church attendance, uh, fewer people attend a local church in America now than any other time in our nation's history. According to Gallup's, the rise of the nuns, not, not nuns, nuns like Catholic nuns, I'm talking N-O-N-E, okay? N-O-N-E. In 1950, it was virtually zero. A nun is classified, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, a nun is classified as the group of people who have no religious affiliation at all. They would call themselves atheists. I don't have anything to do with any of it. It was virtually 0% in 1950. Uh, in 2017, it, it topped out from uh, in 2017 to a little over 20%. And that number has consistently stayed about the same from 17 to 24 where we are today. Meaning that, the, uh, meaning that over 20% of the population are, aren't even uh, uh, affiliated with any faith at all. This, like the probability of you and me, the probability of all of us interacting Today, this week, and in, in, in just probably every day of our lives, with someone who doesn't know Jesus is almost 100%. Almost 100%. Now, here's what I think we should shift here. It's our perspective. Now, we can look at that negatively, and we can continue to have the oh me attitude. And, man, I just can't believe this world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's not getting any better. It's not going to do. I can't believe all this. Lord, come quickly. Or, or we could shift our perspective just a little bit and go, Doggone, 17% of people attend church. That means everybody I come in contact with is, going, is a probability of somebody that I can introduce to Jesus. The vast majority of people. Now, I like fishing. We got any fishing people in here like fishing, fishing, fishing? Can I tell you, one of the most depressing things for me as a fisherman is to go, for somebody to take me to their local pond that's been overfished. 
Like when you know they done caught all the fish out of it, ain't nothing biting, we're spinning our wheels here, right? Nobody wants to go to a lake or a pond that's been overfished, right? Like it should be shooting fish in a barrel as followers of Jesus, right? Everybody we come in contact with probably doesn't know Jesus. And check this out. Only 20% of people don't want anything to do with it. That means over 80% of people are open to their faith. They're open to you going, hey, have you heard anything about Jesus? They're literally waiting on you to go, hey, would you like to come to church with me? The statistic is still true that over 80% of people said they would say yes to an invitation if somebody would simply invite them personally. Do you know what's heartbreaking about that statistic? Is they say that over 95% of Christians will go their entire Christian life and never even have a faith conversation. Y'all, it's shooting fish in a barrel. There's never been a greater time to be alive and call yourself a follower of Jesus than the generation we're living in right now. We literally could see a harvest in our community like the world has never known if we would gather purposefully, if we would go on mission together. So here's my encouragement to you. In your worship guide, you'll see clipped in your worship guide, everybody got one, there's an invitation card right here. It's got a QR code. Takes them right to the church. Tell them the times, the days, everything there is to know. It'll never be outdated. It'll always be updated. You should carry this. Matter of fact, there's a bunch of them out in the lobby too. Uh, you should always have one of these with you. It's my encouragement that you would take this card this week and that you would legitimately pray over it. And you would say, Jesus, I pray that you would put me in front of somebody this week who is desperate for you, who needs to know you. Give me one person that I can give this card to and simply get enough courage to invite them to church with me next week. Listen, I'm telling you, church, if we did that, if one time, if we would do this one time, if we would fall on mission together, unite around the gospel together, Jesus would send revival. Y'all think he don't want to send revival to our town, to our city? He would send revival. It would break out in this city like things we've never known. If God's ever done anything good through anybody, why not us? Why not you? Why not your family? Why not your spouse? Why not your community? Why not your neighborhood? Why not our schools? Why not Shelby County? Why? Because, we're, because the church mobilized is the hope of the world. Hey, may it be that we're not a church on its heels. May it be that we're, not a church, we're a church not advancing. But may we stand up and may we live our lives on purpose. And may we make a difference because the church mobilized is the hope of the world. I want to pray with you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Our band's going to come. They're going to play some music. Nothing funny or weird, I promise. This is a moment between you and God. Maybe you're here today and you need to take this moment and pray over this card. Here's my question I would ask for you. You say, God, what do I need to do with this moment? What do I need to do with the word you've given me today? Maybe, maybe you're here and you need community. You need to be honest about your faith community. Who are you, who you doing life with? Who in your life is in your life? I tell my kids all the time, you show me, and my mom said it, I used to feel so crazy when she said it, but it's true. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who's in your life? Who are you surrounded with? Who are you doing life with? Who are you encouraging alone, spurring alone to live their life on purpose, according to good works and God's purpose? Maybe you're here today and you need a relationship with Jesus. It all begins with Him. This is your moment. You're not here by happenstance. This is a destiny moment for you. The Holy Spirit's touching your life, touching your heart right now, and you simply say these words, Father, forgive me of my sins. 
I'm so sorry I've done it in my own strength, in my own abilities. I've lived life my own way, but today, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. I'm submitting it to you. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I believe you died on a cross and you came back to life three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave for my redemption. Today, I accept you as Savior. I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life. Thank you for salvation. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over every card, over every invite card, walking out of this house of believers today. God, that you would send us through with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would already begin to prepare hearts. God, that you would put on our minds the right person at the right place at the right time. And God, that we would have courage enough to have simple faith conversation, invite somebody into a relationship with Jesus, invite somebody into a worship experience, a worship gathering, and may the Holy Spirit meet them here. And may they give their life to you and may that make all the difference in the kingdom and in their eternity. And God, you'll get all the credit and all the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen.